Hi, my name is Callie, and on this podcast, hindsight is everything. Our goal is to look back on seasons we've been through and help prepare those about to face the same things. There's something powerful in knowing you're not alone and knowing someone has gone before you. So I gather up some great people, I ask them all the questions I can think of, and then, hopefully, by the end, we're better than when we started. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to No One Told Me. In this weird, what in the world is going on season? I want to be hyper aware of what listeners are thinking and feeling. I don't want to shove out content just to get it done. I want to be intentional with how I spend your time. But I'm also in this weird tension of knowing my time is severely limited. What I get to do for a job, helping to manage and further create an online presence for a church, it has obviously kicked into like 12th gear or 1000th gear. I've lost all sense of time in the chaos. You know, I asked Ryan the other day what time it was, and his only response was, does it really matter? And he was right. For the first time in a long time, if ever, it doesn't matter what time it is, because we have nowhere to be, which is freeing and alarming all at the same time. The hardest thing for me within all of this is not knowing when it'll be over. There's no end date. And so I focus on one day at a time. And instead of burying my head in anxiety, I bury my head in gratefulness. I'm grateful for the weather. I'm grateful for where I live, for Wi-Fi, for time at home. Even if working from home is a big old joke that some days is actually funny, like when Henley announces during my Zoom meeting that Hagen has actually pooped on the floor. But then there are days that are infuriating, and I lose my mind when I step on yet another Polly Pocket piece. It's this careful balance but it's a balance that I'm honestly not great at. And so instead of releasing an episode specific to right now, I had to go into the reserves. And what I came out with was an interview with Felicia Masonheimer. Even though it was recorded at the end of February, it's almost eerie how relevant it is to right now. First off, her voice is like something you'd select in that Calm app when you're trying to fall asleep. But we ended up talking a lot about community, which is an odd thing to do right now. Uh, Maybe a little... Uh, different right now, but it's even more powerful because we crave it more than ever in Zoom and FaceTime. We're learning they really aren't that bad. We talk about what God created for the confines of marriage and why the struggle to keep that within the confines of marriage while you're working up to marriage is so difficult. We go into how dominating our emotions can be in our response to Jesus and the most timely part of the conversation was the five or 10 minutes she shared about Psalm 57. Looking back, it blew my mind how relevant it is to right now. Listen to some of it. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations, for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. 
your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. The writer of this psalm is praising God before the trouble has even passed. He's praising God for what he's going to do. So that's my challenge to myself and to you this week. Write down who God is and what he's capable of doing. Praise him for what he's going to do through all of this. Praise him for the revival that's already stirring in the hearts of so many who had written him off. God's going to do something big, and we have front row seats. But for now, here's my conversation with Felicia Masonheimer. So, Felicia, let's just let's get our feet under us for just a second. Go ahead and tell us about you, your family, kind of your everyday life, that whole deal. Sure. So uh, my name is Felicia Masonheimer, Felicia with a P-H-Y. So I'm probably the only Felicia Masonheimer in the world. I, I believe think. that. The amount of times <laughs> I had to go back and look at how to spell your name in preparation, like anytime I was writing it, I was like, I have no idea how to spell this right now. <laughs> hey, neither do I half the time. So, you know, it's it's unique. But um, my husband, Josh, and I met while we were attending Liberty University in Virginia, which is where I got my religion degree. He was studying engineering at the time. We lived in Virginia and Pennsylvania, and now we live in northern Michigan, which is where I grew up, um, to be closer to my family. And we have two little girls. We have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and we're expecting our third baby in September. Um, And average everyday life, we live on a small farm. We moved out of our downtown um, a couple months ago. So now we live on a small farm, which is kind of my ideal life. Oh, wow. I grew up on a farm. When you say farm, do you have like animals? Do you have crops? What is it? Not like? yet. Not but yet. You, Cause we moved here so quick. Yeah. Cause we moved here three months ago. You didn't but buy the will. goats with the farm is what you're telling me. They weren't just right. like, they didn't come but with the it. Goats are coming. The I goats believe are it. Coming. <laughs> he, Josh is, he's debating me on this, but it's, it's ordained by God. You're going to have goats. I love that you said he's debating me, but we all have already drawn the conclusion. You're going to have goats. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, everyday life. Um, in the mornings, I typically, um, homeschool, do any home management tasks that we have slated. So my cleaning, just general mom stuff that you would do if you're a stay at home mom. And then in the afternoons, I work on, um, interviews, my business ministry answering emails, things like that. And then evenings, um, we're usually either going to a hockey game or Bible study or um, hanging out as a family, having a movie night or hosting people for dinner. So we have a busy life, but we try to keep, um, you know, really high priority on community and caring for the home and for our family and then work falls after all of that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of uh, a picture of what what we do. That's such a great picture just from the, um, the simple bullet point that you just put at the, the end was that, you know, you have an order of things that you all have made a priority. And I know that some of those things fill you up and some of them kind of drain you. So what does fill you up the most? So it is important to me, and this is going to sound super Christian-y, but like, it's very important to me that I spend time in the word at least on a deep level, at least three times a week. Mm. Um, I try to do it daily, but it just doesn't always work out. Um, and so typically I get up at six and I do my Bible study routine after that, um, downstairs. And if it doesn't happen early in the morning, I do it later in the day. Um, but other than that, 
I really love, and this might surprise some people, I have a very busy social schedule. And so I actually get very drained by doing a lot of social stuff Mm. because it's part of my work. And so I love to sit and read and I love to knit. Oh, wow. And I love to cook. So cooking and knitting sound like such grandma things, but they really fill me up. Listen, they don't knitting, much from me. knitting on a farm is on brand. So, you know, I support mm-hmm. it. It just sounds like something you should do on a farm. Very little house on the prairie. <laughs> I love it so much. You make all your kids clothes like sweaters in the winter. Oh my gosh, I love it so much. Okay, so let's jump in a little bit into, you do a lot uh, of writing. How long have you had your blog, Felicia? When did you start that? I've been blogging for 10 years. 10 years. So So when I say a lot of writing, I mean a lot of writing. But you do it in such a way that it revolves around this concept of just going deeper in your relationship with Jesus. I mean, a lot of what you communicate on is that um, you can read a lot about Jesus, but Sometimes it's hard to take that next step to actually applying it to your everyday life. But why did that become your goal? How did that develop in your heart to make it something you want to move toward? Well, it goes back to when I was in high school and early college. So part of my testimony was I grew up in a Christian home, wonderful Christian parents, really kind of a storybook childhood. Um, but I struggled with sexual sin for most of high school and or all of high school and early college. So during that time, um, I knew I was a Christian, but I didn't understand how to reconcile my struggle and my addiction with being a Christian. And I couldn't understand what the role of the Holy Spirit was, how come I couldn't get victory. I was so sequestered in shame and fear, didn't want to tell my parents, didn't want to tell anybody. And because of that, I really struggled with understanding who Christ is and what my relationship with him was supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to go deeper with God. um, And I did study my Bible and do all the things I I had the perfect Christian, you know, facade, if you will, down. And I was a Christian, but the power of it was missing. And so through that struggle, I actually began asking very deep theological questions. And I also have always had a passion for the why behind what we believe. But I think it really intersected with that, that appeal from me to God. Where are you in this struggle of mine? How do I know what sin is? What repentance is? Who are you? Do you love me? Or are you just a judge? All of these questions are theological questions, and I had to go deeper with him to figure them out. Mm. You know, it's the theological uh, questions. And I was in church from as long as I can remember, and it was one of those things. I was the third child, and so I just kind of tagged along to everything my mom did, It did even if I wasn't involved, which, I mean, that's the future of your third child as well, Felicia. I hope you recognize that. <laughs> They're just, they're, they're just gonna always be there. Uh, but that's how I was with my mom. And so every time doors were open, she volunteered, she served. So I felt like I knew the Bible. You know, like I, I've, I had a, gr- a grasp on it. I knew all the major stories. But when you talk about those deep theological questions, I think we can get scared of those sometimes. They feel too big and we don't always know, um, where to start. But where did you start when you knew you had these questions? How did you start finding answers? Well, I think a lot of it was talking with fellow believers Mm. and 
and really being in community. And this is why Christian community through the church is so important. It's not optional. It's something that we have to have because Christianity is a communal faith and it always has been. So I had to be in community to have people to ask these questions. I also started searching my Bible for what do I know about God's love? What do I know about repentance? What do I know about sin? And I had a little book of God's promises that were divided up by topic. And I used those to read different passages and verses about different topics and then go and look at the context of them. And it was very helpful to me to do that. But what ultimately helped me the most was actually after most of my struggle was in the past and I was married and had my first child. I, so I had a religion degree and I was 25 years old before I'd ever read the Bible cover to cover. And I spent a year doing that. It was my first time reading chronologically through the whole Bible that changed everything because suddenly I got the big picture and I saw what they call the scarlet thread of redemption through the Bible. And it was so neat, and I've done it every year since. Really? So you that's your goal every year is you just read through cover mm-hmm. to cover? That's mm-hmm. so- This year, I'm doing two years, a two-year plan, so I'm okay. t- going slower. But so for the last four years, though, I've done um, chronologically in a year. And it, again, sounds so cheesy, but here's what is amazing about reading Scripture. I was thinking about this this morning when I was reading is that there are some stories that I have heard a million times. I mean, I truly, I've heard them all, everywhere. But I can still take some, almost always I learn something new, even if I've heard it. So I wonder if that's kind of the case for you as you read mm-hmm. these stories every year. So mm-hmm. um, I know that a, a lot of what you write about fits every season of life. And as I, I read through a lot um, of your stuff, what I started to admire the most, I think, is that you didn't just write about the season that you were currently in. You write about singleness. You write about trying to find the one. But then you switch gears and you write about some of the topics that we don't ever talk about, like you said, like our past and whatever shame we're going through. But I know that these seasons, regardless of how good or bad they feel or fruitless or fruitful that they might feel, I know you've probably gotten a lot of feedback as you've worked through all of this. And I'm kind of curious, what do you see women responding to the most? In some ways, I think you probably have a good pulse on what women are struggling to walk through. I think that what's most identified with the singleness ones really do capture a lot of the struggles of women who are in that season, but mostly the posts on either sexuality or practical theology seem to meet women the most. So on the sexuality front, it just, it's just now becoming something the church is more comfortable to talk about. Mm. So I think a lot of those posts resonate with people, but the, the posts about how do we understand some of these hard questions? Like for instance, what does it mean to have a gentle and quiet spirit? We see that verse, but what about for us extroverts? What's that mean? So writing about things like that and understanding what scripture was saying, the historical context, the literary context helps us to know how to walk it out. And so I think a lot of women really identify with those practical posts the most. How often do you get um, women that just kind of reach out about the same topics over and over? I think we all think that our struggle or what we're walking through, we're the only ones walking through it. You know, like we're the the only ones stuck in that season. Like, What are some of those that you see? A big one is community. And I will say that I, I have a very 
open standard on people coming to me with their problems. Mm-hmm. I'm not a counselor. I'm very clear about this. Yes, I'll, I'll pray for you right now, but you need to go talk to your pastor, your elders, and your community. And if you're not in a community, you need to get in one. And that's part of obedience. That's part of being a Christian. I, and I think what ends up happening is we see these influencers online who, who talk about the Bible, who talk about Jesus, and we're like, oh, you know, it's easier to send this via a screen to this person because I respect mm-hmm. them and get them to speak into my life. It's not healthy yeah. to do that. You need to be talking to real life people. I have real life people I talk to. I don't go to people online to disciple me. Mm-hmm. I go to real life people and I'm actively being discipled in real life. But community is one of the big ones. Other things are marriage and having a difficult marriage because my husband and I have had not the easiest story mm-hmm. um, and motherhood. You know, it's funny how a lot of the biggest issues that you come up against and you want someone to speak into, you can find a lot of that kind of encouragement and next steps, figuring those out in community. But it's almost mm-hmm. like community is an afterthought a lot of times, especially once right. you have to get into the process of making friends when they're not just given to you and based on proximity, when you actually have to be intentional about going and building mm-hmm. that community, it gets a little more difficult. But what do you think, you know, that we kind of stumble around trying to biblically answer? You know, there are just some things that happen in our world and people cut like our, our community, our friends, our family, they come to us, especially if they know that we follow Jesus. And they want an answer to some of these cultural questions. Will you just share, share some of the clarity that you found on on maybe two or three of these big topics? Yeah, I think a huge one is sexuality. It's hard to negotiate, you know, the differences and understand like what's biblical, what's not. And one of the things that really helped me as, is a guide for me in understanding sexuality from from God's perspective is God first of all God designed sexuality he he designed it and understanding that and that it is good and that we can submit that to God and that we can actually celebrate that that God made us that way and that our desires are good things that can be an opportunity to turn our worship to God was really pivotal for me when I was struggling um the other area would be insecurity and I've struggled with this um, as a people pleaser mm, and wanting to compare. <laughs> and what the problem is with insecurity is you're always looking for a measure to check that you're doing okay. And it's usually other people. But if you are looking to God as your measure, then you can say, okay, I know what he sees I know what his standard is. And as long as I am meeting that standard, then I know I can be at peace. Right. So his security is what removes our insecurity. Mm. And it starts by knowing who he is. So those would be probably two areas that I've you know, had to walk through um, and that the Bible answers pretty clearly. And I think it's interesting how those two things kind of feed each other. You know, um, mm-hmm. even after you're married and it's like if you've grown up in the church, but then on the flip side, when you do get married, you have no idea what's going on. I mean, you were just kind of smacked in the face and you run into that insecurity issue of, well, this was wrong for so long that I don't know how it can be right right now. You right. know, I talk to so many women who cannot reconcile those two things. 
um, and right. can't and can't figure out how to confidently walk into a marriage when it comes to the insecurities that come from that as well. So I, I do agree with you wholeheartedly that it's such a big topic that we shy away from because it can make you uncomfortable to talk about it. But then I just think about the young girls I talk to all the time who are engaged, who are just like, I have no idea what's yeah. happening. And they're semi-terrified. <laughs> yeah. You know, purity culture had good intentions, but it was trying to prevent something without the Holy Spirit who motivates holiness. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who drives you to choose holiness and to choose purity and to set those standards. You can have all the standards in the world, but if you have no reverence for God, you will not follow them Mm. or you will, and you'll be a little legalist. Mm -hmm. It is hard to, to go through that, but God's very compassionate for that process. You just explained it so well. I could not figure out a way to explain it. And it's just that your drive for holiness, not because you went to a conference that said you should, and not because your parents told you you should or because you have a random ring on your finger that reminds you that you should. It's because you want to be holy before God. And I've just I've never heard it put that way. And I think there's a lot of power just in that little bit of perspective shifting. But speaking of this perspective shift, your most recent book, Stop Calling Me Beautiful, it even the title alone, it makes you stop a second because you're like, no, I want you. I kind of want you to call me beautiful. You know, (laughs) I started (laughs) when I started reading it. I thought I get it because you're kind of zeroing in on this, like having a deeper and and a more fulfilling relationship with your creator, which you even said, I think it was when you're promoting it. I read it or heard you say it. You know, a lot of times we go to these women's conferences and they're like, you know, you are a beautiful um, daughter of the king, which is true. I mean, that's not <laughs> discounting that statement, but you want it to go farther than that. What made you want to write this book to begin with? So the book actually originated as a blog post from a couple years ago. I think it was three years ago by a similar name. And it was called Dear Women's Ministry. Stop telling me I'm beautiful. Hmm. And the blog post went viral several times, which told me, hmm, I think people resonate with this. Mm, (laughs) And when that happened, a lot of the responses were, yes, we're tired of this limited, watered down teaching that women are getting that revolves only around beauty and identity and talks about how great we are and how worthy we are. Yes. Do we want to hear these things? Yes. Should we hear these things? Yes. But only if we get the full story. Hmm. We need the backstory to where that worthiness and that beauty comes from because it was costly the beauty we have as daughters of the king was costly and we didn't earn it so if all we ever say is you're beautiful you're daughter of god you're worthy and we don't ever tell the whole gospel we cheapen the grace of god mm-hmm. and we create apathetic disciples because if you don't know the cost you can't care mm-hmm. you just can't mm-hmm. So the title is a little jarring and my publisher said, like, we want this title. And I was like, yeah, it's a little bit scary, but okay. <laughs> they liked it though, because it is, it is confronting a cultural issue, um, slightly touching on the self-love movement when the real solution to our issues of not accepting ourselves, of struggling with identity, of wanting to hear that we're beautiful comes back to what Jesus did and who he's made us to be. And the only way to really understand that is to go deeper with mm. God. 
you know, you use the phrase apathetic disciple and it makes you stop for a second and consider what that means because it's easy to do, especially, you know, I live in Tennessee in the heart of the Bible Belt. And if there's a place for you to become apathetic, it is here. What are some things that you've kind of noticed over time that are a little bit of red flags that you're leaning in that direction? Yeah. So we lived in Virginia for five or my husband grew up in Virginia, but we lived there for five years and I went to a Christian university. So I totally understand when you're in the Bible Belt at a Christian university, Christian, 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 super easy to just be like, I've heard it all before. This is getting kind of boring, you know, Mm -hmm. what's new when reality is we literally cannot live without without his truth. And not everybody can afford to travel, but if you can, I would always encourage people to go to parts of the of the US especially that are not the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. I don't live in the Bible Belt. I live in a predominantly um nominal Catholic area or just agnostic. 66% of the people here are unchurched and do not care about it. Like you don't go to church on Sunday and give up your kayaking trip for sitting in a service. Mm-hmm. So up here, if you're a Christian, if you're truly following Jesus, it's very clear and very evident. But when you live in other parts of the U.S., it's not so clear. Everybody's a Christian. You're born a Christian, you know. And yeah, they, yeah. Uh, we'll just tell you that. And so an apathetic Christian, first of all, Jesus said, you will be known by your fruit. Bear much fruit and so prove that you are my disciples. That's from Jesus himself. And so our, the fruit we bear, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., the obedience that we have reflects the depth of our relationship with God. And it's not just an external obedience. It's that you, when you meet that person who just truly loves God and it just radiates from them, you can't miss it. You're like, what do they have that I don't have, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that starts with, with um, no longer letting your emotions guide your relationship with the Lord, not waiting to feel like reading the Bible to read the Bible and study it and say, God, truly, I'm, I'm going to seek you because Jesus, Jesus said, or father God said, seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing this halfway Christianity thing and you're like, God doesn't talk to me. Well, you know, do you ever talk to God? Because it's a relationship that mm-hmm. goes both ways. And he's he's a gentleman. He doesn't he doesn't have to prove himself to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have the opportunity to say, you know what? I don't feel like this, but I know I need this. And I know what he says he will be found by those who seek him. And I'm going to make that effort. And, you know, even as you um, wrote this book, I don't think people fully understand when you write something, especially like a book, it comes usually from a semi-personal place. Like you don't just flippantly pick something and you know, like, hey, I'm going to write a quick story about this. It, you almost learn it while you're writing it in a lot of ways. So when you were working through what it was going to be about, what did you learn about yourself in your writing? And then in the in the grand scheme, what do you want readers to walk away with after they have read? Well, during the writing of the book, I was in, you know, a very busy season. I have had a two and a half year old and a baby. Oh, help me. And You're was, writing a book. Felicia, stop yeah, making us look yeah. bad. Okay. <laughs> I also have a pregnancy induced autoimmune disease. And um, 
broke my leg. Oh my gosh. Oh, and you've still written a book. I can't. (laughs) I just, we need to end this now. Uh, Well, it was, it was not something and it is, it's, I still have the disease, but, um, it's, it's not something that I would choose at all. And I think in the, it's the timing of those things with the writing of the book really forced me to live out what I was writing. Mm. And I often say, you know, is God enough or is he isn't? He, it, you know, is he not? Cause he says he is. Mm-hmm. Either he is or he isn't. And I was forced to in that, in that season, truly ask myself, do I believe God is who he says he is? Do I believe he can do what he says he can do? Cause that's what I'm writing here. I'm saying that he's sufficient and now I have to trust his sufficiency mm. because I couldn't walk for two and a half months and I had two small children and was in a wheelchair. And you know, when you're sitting in that kind of dependence and you've been super productive and now you can do, you can barely even dress yourself. Mm. That's extremely humbling. And so through writing the book, I really learned that you have to practice what you preach and God will give you opportunities to do that. But he drew me closer to him in that season than any other season that I've been through. I I often say I wouldn't do it over, but I would definitely be grateful for the result. So Mm -hmm. for those who are reading it, I just hope that everything that's in it encourages them to see that Christianity is immensely practical, but we don't start on the practical end. We don't start with the, you know, quick fix. We start by just seeking Christ. It's about him. And when you do that, he will transform you. He will change you. He will become sufficient. But it's not overnight. It's something that happens as you're walking daily with him. In those moments that you did feel and probably still do feel at times insufficient, I mean, you said it yourself, you've got two kids, you're homeschooling, you're trying to run a household, and then on the flip side, you're trying to do ministry or you're trying to work. And I think that there's so many women who have that same story, and you lay down in your bed at night and you think, I didn't, I was not good enough today. I didn't do all the things that I set out to do. Um, what are just some easy practices or anything that you might do right now when you have those feelings of insufficiency bubble up or you have those thoughts enter in? And I know part of it is exactly what you said. Don't let your emotions define your relationship with God. But with that, I know there's so many women who find themselves in the heart of it. And I just wondered if you had some practical disciplines that will help you kind of step away from that mindset. Yeah, I can give you a really recent example. So um, I was really sick with some kind of morning sickness because I'm almost out of the first trimester, but mm-hmm. um, really sick Monday and yesterday. Um, today's Wednesday. So for two days, pretty much incapacitated and could not get a lot of the stuff on my list done and was really discouraged about it because I had a pretty big list for this week. And This morning, as I was sitting down doing my devotions, which I sit, I study my passage for the day, I take notes on it, and then I pray over my kids and any requests that we have for the week. And during that time, I really spent some time studying who God was in the passage that I was looking at. So Psalm 57 was what I was studying and writing down everything that he is and how that changes 
my perspective on my to-do list and my insufficiency, my sickness, you know, so not thinking, oh man, God, just make me feel better about me, you know, make me, you know, make my to-do list disappear, you know, whatever. Um, but actually focusing on who he is and adoring who he is mm. and saying, I know that you you, Psalm 57 says he shelters us in the shadow of his wings. He is our refuge. And then David says, I will praise you and I will exalt you. So before anything even changes, he's already praising and exalting God for what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And so be in the word, study who God is, adore who God is and praise him before anything changes. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's so good. Isn't it amazing? And it's like a, we kind of talked about the very beginning, how you can read. I've heard that verse before, but just how, and I'm sure you had too, but how in the moment, based on the season you were in and how you were feeling, how God used it to speak specifically to you in that mm. moment, in that season, and how you can then turn around and use it in the lives of others. I just think we undervalue that sometimes. But every single episode, we end with one question, and that is, what are you so happy that someone did tell you about and this can be absolutely anything for you it might be you know those ginger uh, cough drop things that help with morning sickness oh i love those things <laughs> so much those ginger chews i bought some yesterday ginger kombucha too oh i um, i didn't do that i did the chews when i was pregnant and just constantly feeling like i was going to puke at any given second yes ginger ginger chews and ginger kombucha are amazing but um so i love Books and podcasts. I could go on and on and on with book recommendations, podcasts. But one podcast that I really love, it's super practical for my season because I am a mom, is Courageous Parenting with Angie and Isaac Tolpin. Yeah. Super practical. Um, I listen to it while I'm cooking and stuff. And another thing that someone told me about that I love is this book, The Knitting Bible. We're going back there. Oh, going back we are. You, could, you couldn't leave it alone, could you, Felicia? I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. And it's so cool. Yeah, and it's appropriate. It's called A Knitting Bible, I guess. But it's um, it's got all these different stitches, and it's super easy to follow, so you can do, like, samplers of the different stitches and actually get better at your craft. Really handy if you want to be a grandma. That, what do you knit? I mean, do you? because, okay, I, there was a season in my life that I would crochet, but there was nothing because there was something soothing about just the rhythm of it. Yeah. Um, but it never turned into anything. I literally it was like one long string because I never learned how to create other rows <laughs> to actually create like a blanket or anything. That's so funny. I'm but, most impressed by crocheting. I, it is. I And it's almost like I kind of want to pick it back up because it is. It's a little bit like a meditation kind of thing, like just mm-hmm. soothing. But yeah. what do you actually make? Are you actually making things, Felicia, or just like yeah. a long piece of string like I did? <laughs> so I I make a lot of baby hats and baby booties for friends that have babies. I love um, that. And I've made scarves are really easy. This is the little house on the prairie right now, and I love it so much. <laughs> It very it's much. really so soothing, though. That's really why I do it. Yeah, I I mean, I get that. I, that's how I was back in the day with my I think I took cro- up crocheting when I was like 16 years old. So, I mean, I've had an old soul for a long time. <laughs> my friends were going to the movies. Now I got to stay home and crochet really busy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lots to do. But Felicia, thanks so much for jumping on here um, with us real quick. Tell us how we can kind of find you on the World Wide Web and your book and everything else. 
So my website is my name, FeliciaMasonheimer.com. Oh, good grief, have, guys. We'll put it in, in, a, in a show notes. You're not going to be able to spell it. Yeah. I yeah. Well, I mean, even if you misspell it, it's, I'm the only one. So it comes up. Um, and then on my website, I have a free Bible study jumpstart. It's a seven-day email course. So if you're like, I don't know where to start, that might be a good spot. That's great. Um, and then on Instagram and Facebook, just my name, Felicia Masonheimer, for both. I love it. Felicia, thank you so much. I appreciate so much what you do um, in in the lives of, of others. So thanks for jumping on here again. I love ending every episode telling you how thankful I am for you, that you would take your time to listen to what we're trying to do here. So if you loved it, or even if you have feedback, I want to hear about it. You can either hop on over to iTunes and leave us a review, or... You can just DM me on social media. Usually I'm on Instagram the most. It's at C.E. Holla. And again, I love hearing from you guys. So make sure you either write a review or send me a DM, which always seems a little bit desperate asking for it. But here I am asking anyways. Thanks again for tuning in.